fish on. And welcome back to Hunger for the Outdoors. Um, today we're going to be doing a segment where we do a little bit of questions and answers. Um, we've done a little bit of editing, so hopefully this comes through a little better than the last one. Yeah, for sure. And we decided since our lovely wives are pretty new to fishing and hunting this year, since they got the unfortunate luck of marrying us, <laughs> depending on how you look at that. Um, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to see what questions they had with really anything that pertains to hunting, fishing, trapping, uh, really just anything that we're going to be talking about throughout this show. We also thought it would be a great opportunity for you listeners to also um, maybe get some commonly asked questions answered, get some tips. Um, and you know, as always, if you have anything else you want to add, you know, feel free to go onto our Facebook page at Hunger for the Outdoors, as well as our Instagram page at Hunger Number Four the Outdoors. Um, so I guess with that, we'll go ahead and get started. Kayla, do you have any questions? Yes. So why is it best to hunt ducks when it is cold and windy? That's a loaded question. I'll start, and then anything that I miss, you want to hit? <clears throat> yeah. Sure. All right. Um, the cold front usually will get animals up and moving. Um, they're one of the best tellers of how the year is going to go or how the winter is going to be. Um, I have seen animals before a cold front moves in, feel the pressure that's moving, and make adjustments accordingly. And for a lot of times for ducks, that's they're going to fly. And so that moves them into or out of your area. Um, and windy, ducks can only land into the wind. And so it's easier for hunters to hunt in wind because we know where they're going to land. It's a lot easier for, for us to predict how they're going to land if they're coming into a decoy spread or if they're landing into the water versus when there's no wind. They can land any which way, which makes it a little harder because, I mean, I've been sitting out days where my cousin and I were out hunting and there was absolutely no wind and we had ducks coming from every which way and we couldn't predict, and so it makes it a little harder. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not biologists or anything, but... You know, especially with waterfowl, um, their hunting season is during the migration, right? They're migrating from south or from the north to the south to get a, escape that cold weather. You know, that's what's going to be pushing them. They're going to be riding that wind. It's going to be a lot easier for them to fly. They're going to be kicking them up. Obviously, with most animals, cold weather, they're going to think, I need food. They're going to be feeding a lot. They're going to be flying around trying to find as much food as they can, pond hopping, just about everything. Um, so I think that's why duck hunting gets better when it gets colder and windier. All right. Um, any other questions? Um, what are the differences between shotgun shot and the ammo and the different kinds of ammo shot for shotguns? You mean like the shot size of the BBs? Mm. Yeah. No. Um, well, I guess I can start with this one. Um, you know, you obviously got like slugs. They're pretty big. Buckshot. Um... Yeah, and those ones are meant for killing deer. Yeah, you know, buckshot. Um, but especially for waterfowl, they kind of get the smaller the number, the bigger the BBs are inside the shot. So you got like T shot, um, double B, triple B, shot one, two, three, four, all the way down to eight. Um, so T shot and triple B and BB shot are for what? Uh, a lot of people use them for geese. It'll be the easiest thing to take down a goose with. Um, I've even heard of people hunting turkeys with a tee shot or a triple B. But they're meant for the bigger birds. You know, I know, I got a buddy who's really big into goose hunting, and he said that he's seen people shoot geese with a shot, two-size shot or one-size shot, and it'll just bounce right off their chest, and they'll keep flying like it didn't even hit them. So you definitely want to get bigger shots if you're going to be hunting bigger birds. And I think that's really key for, for shotgun ammo, right? Is you're, yeah. you're, you're adjusting your ammo shot size to the game that you're, you're hunting for. You wouldn't shoot a quail or a, a pheasant with, well, I guess you would hunt. You wouldn't hunt quail or um, dove with teak shot, would you? There'd be nothing left. You wouldn't be able to eat it. It'd be more like eight or seven and a half shot that you'd hunt doves with. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, so that's a big part of when you're hunting. You want to know what what is going to be around you. What are you going to see that day? I know for me, I see a lot of teal where I'm at. You see tons of teal, but at the same time, we also see uh, we see a little bit of everything else too. We see widgeon, we see mallards, and so I know me and Michaela, we really like to just sit kind of there in between. We use a, nothing smaller than a two shot or a three shot. As a matter of fact, seeing that you guys have gotten, you know, a lot of animals, you got a new duck this year, didn't you? One that you haven't shot before? Yeah, that's right. You know, we, uh, we actually got the chance to go up to Idaho with Zach and his wife, and we hunted the Snake River up there, and it was a blast. It was actually my second year doing this, and we actually got some really pretty birds that we'd never seen out there before. You know, I got, what was a hen goldeneye mm-hmm. that one day. Yep. Um, and then I also got a hen hooded merganser which I thought I'd never see one of those around here, but that was quite the experience to see. And that was really neat to be a part of it and sit there and watch you and, and uh, share that experience with you when you shot that, that hooded merganja. It was kind of a unique bird. I'd never seen it there, and I've hunted there for most of my life. Mm-hmm. I definitely got to give a shout-out here to Zach. He, uh, <laughs> he belly crawled out into that ice to get it for me. I figured big boy like me trying to crawl out there was going to start cracking. Thin ice, Snake River, doesn't work. <laughs> but also on that trip, we had a little bit of an oopsie. <laughs> uh, man, that was that was fun falling in the river. But we'll do a whole episode later on based off of our uh, off of our whoopsies that we've had experiencing hunting. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're definitely not not pros by any chance. We're always learning, constantly improving, learning from our mistakes. Um, but yeah, that was that was quite the hunt that we had that day. <laughs> A lot of fun. A lot of good memories made. Yes, anyway. for sure. For sure. Um, any more questions? Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> I had the chance to experience um, breaking ice. Um, I'm sorry. That, that was great. 10 degree weather and uh, had no clue what we were doing. So, we were just like sitting there breaking ice with our shovels for like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And See, this is, a, this is a prime example of kind of what we hope to accomplish. You know, I had never broken ice before, and I just wanted to give it a go, just say I tried it. You know, I'm not, I love hunting, but I also like staying somewhat warm. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Michaela here, we, we dragged her out there. We probably got to the marsh by 5.30, 6 o'clock and started breaking ice. We were breaking ice for like two and 9 30 two and a half hours we were watching ducks fly over us and <laughs> it was rough it was so bad and yeah she's mentioned we never broke ice before and we, we ended up not doing it quite right and so it froze right over again when we were done um but i also had the opportunity to take the time and kind of read up on how to break ice and i found there's several different ways on breaking ice depending on where you're hunting and how you plan on doing it exactly you know if you're if you're hunting something that's real thin ice you know like the boys down south get mm-hmm. you know they've got a thin crust of ice every morning to take our boat out and you know breaks it up for them yeah, but if you can use that motor to keep the water moving keep it from unfreezing um if you're lucky enough to have a private land you can always use a pump to keep that water moving and keep it from freezing over it makes it real nice um another thing that guys use especially if you've got you know, about an inch to two inches of ice is they've got the, the ice chisels. Yeah. Um, which make it convenient for breaking off large sheets of ice. And one thing that one of the guys that we were listening to was saying is that he'd break off those large sheets and try to shove them underneath behind him. Mm-hmm. And then he would go in afterwards and all those little pieces that were left in there, he'd use a metal rake. And I'm kind of excited to try that this next upcoming waterfowl season with a metal rake to see if that gets out and makes it clean for us where it doesn't freeze up the way it did. Yeah, yeah. I think it would be great, great because... Um, you know, if you guys ever notice ducks on ice, they're never, where they're sitting out in the water, there's never little floaties, nothing ice floating around. Water's always perfectly clear. Um, and we can get more into that too, like how to decoy and everything with ice. Um, we haven't put into practice yet. We've heard a lot of great theories that we look forward to trying soon. And so we can keep you guys updated on that as we do it. Yep. And the last way to break ice is if you're one that gets pretty thick ice the way that we do in Idaho and you're on a pond where it's got several inches you know four or five inches Mm -hmm. do what the boys that ice fish do and take a chunk and cut it with a chainsaw cut that out cut it into blocks and haul it out 
Um, you know, I would try to push them underneath the ice if you're at all able. And if you're not, haul it up behind the blind. Yep, for sure. Just try and get it out of there, at least make it blend in on top of the other ice. Um, another way is also good old-fashioned um, a back of an axe, a shovel, really just any kind of blunt object you have or sharp object that you can get there in the ice to break it up. Um, make sure you also give yourself plenty of time because to break open a big enough hole to put a handful of decoys and enough room for ducks to land is going to take you a while. So make sure you definitely give yourself plenty of time before shooting light to do that. And this is all depending on the thickness of your ice, right? You know, you, get, you don't go out and use a chainsaw for a half an inch of ice. Yes. But at the same time, you don't use a boat to break out six inches of ice. Yeah, you, know, you definitely got to make sure you know what kind of ice you're working with. Go out maybe the day before, weekend before, keep an eye on the weather as well. You know, see how cold it's going to get. That you can, uh, you can kind of make an estimate of what kind of ice you're going to be looking at that morning. Any other questions? Um, what can I use to know where it's legal to hunt? I think this is, this is a great question. I especially run into this a lot wondering, you know, I see a great piece of land. I see some deer. I'm like, man, can I get out there? Can I hunt that? I see a pond with tons of, um, tons of waterfowl, geese, ducks, and... It was just this little honey hole. And we both but, use the same strategy now because we mm -hmm. both upgraded our, our systems. So Yeah, um, I think, first of all, it's just common sense. I mean, what, what's around there? You know, are you in a populated area? Is it in the middle of nowhere? Are there roads nearby? Um, obviously, make sure you're staying clear of roads and other populated areas. You don't want to accidentally injure anybody nearby. And that's, that's our plug, is always make sure everyone's safe. That's the number yes, one thing. please. For sure. Um, another great tool, just asking people around you. Ask people that have been there. Ask them where they hunt, your friends, people on Facebook. Go find, you know, heck, I'm part of three or four different waterfowl groups on just in Utah. That I see that all the time. People asking, hey, can I go hunt here? Anybody have any new spots I can go to? Um, but also a great tool that we use is Onyx Hunting. That is probably our favorite one. You know, I've been using it for the past two years. And not only does it help me find where places are that are open to hunting, mm -hmm. but it also helps me remember where places that I've hunted before are. You know, I've got a lot of public access out where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can put different markers <clears throat> on my onyx, you know, for deer, for access points, for traps, you know, all sorts of things. And it helps me remember in the next year, oh, yeah, you know, this was a place where I, I shot that hooded merganser with Connor last year. Or, hey, I saw this great big four-point here last year. Um, yeah. It has all those abilities as well as letting you know where public land is. And so I think that Onyx Maps is one of the greatest tools that you could use if you can afford the, the premium subscription. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this isn't like a paid, paid uh, sponsorship or anything like that. We just, it's a tool that we love to use, a tool that we use almost every day. Um, and even with private land, it'll tell you who the owner is, give you some information so you can go up and approach them and ask permission. Um, but yeah, I think that's some of the best ways to find out where you can hunt, how you can hunt it. Um, also by looking up your local guidelines as well. All right. Um, I know the first couple times we've gone hunting, we've used face paint. And, and we haven't lately, but... Um, does face paint really help um, disguise you, or um, and why? I think before we get into this, I want to hear your thoughts. Since we've tried it both ways, what have you noticed? I've noticed that it is a lot easier with face paint because you have to like look down if you don't have it, so it's kind of hard to know where they are, when, when, and when to shoot and. Well, and here's the thing. This isn't just such a narrow question. Let's broaden this up a little bit. You had a question that was a little bit similar to it. Yeah. My question is, do you need cam camo to hunt? And this kind of falls in the broad spectrum of all of it. You know, do you need to be hidden? Do you? I mean, your and I's granddads went out, and they wore flannel, and they sat out in the marsh and waited for ducks to come around. They shot them, didn't they? Yeah. I know some great friends of mine. They barely wear any camo or no face paint, and they limit out on their ducks. So what would be the difference? Why, why would you put it on? 
Um, you know, I wear camouflage one. I think it's just been kind of ingrained into us almost that it's just the thing you do. Um, it's obviously a great tool. It definitely gives you an advantage um, to be concealed. And it definitely brings in the game a lot closer than otherwise. But is it necessary? I mean, we want to hear what you guys think. Is it necessary? Do you need camouflage? I mean, I, uh, I look at camouflages that we have now, and, and we've got so many different camouflages. I mean, you and I are sitting here wearing Reed Camo. But yeah, we've got like Max 5. you got the digital camo that Sitka's come out with. And so you look at all these different camos, and you think, you know, is it really necessary? And I think one of the things that I was reading, my cousin Connor, he is huge into Sitka. He loves it. And uh, I kind of grew up with this philosophy, oh, you know, you're the uppity snootity hunter if you think that Sitka's the best there ever was because it's a digital camo. Um, this is coming from the guy who wants to get Sitka now. <laughs> you know, I want to get it, and I, I do I do say that my mind has been changed on that, and I grew up that way. But yeah. my thing with it is the reason that I am going to wear a camo if I go out hunting is for the lines. To my mind, the lines break up the outline. You know, I don't want a deer to look at me and see an outline of a human sitting there. I want him to look at me and see a bunch of broken lines thinking there's not a whole lot wrong. You know, maybe a few shapes are off, but it's something to be weary of, not something that is so important with duck hunting. And the reason you guys wear face paint is that is one animal that will pull out your skin like nothing else. I mean, it'll be like a, a mirror that's shining at a plane yeah, trying to figure definitely. it out SOS. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, on top of that, I think... It also has a lot to do with your confidence. I mean, I think it might have been you. We were talking about fishing one day, about different lures. And you say a lot of it just comes down to confidence. You know, what gives you the confidence to go out there to make that cast where you make it? What gives you the confidence to stalk that deer, to get a little bit closer for that shot? You know, it's, it's that camouflage. It's that, that thought of, I'm a little more concealed than if I wasn't wearing this jacket or if I wasn't wearing the hat or anything like that, I have that extra layer of concealment. Maybe I can get a little bit closer. Maybe I get a few yards closer. Maybe I can draw those ducks in a little bit more. And a lot of times that, you know, five, maybe ten yards gets you that kill. That can be a world it, of difference. It'll be the difference between a killing something and going home with that big fat skunk, you yeah. know. And that's, that's where it comes down to is confidence. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of answers that whole general realm of the question. Yeah. But again, we love to hear from our listeners. What do you guys Please. think? Do you guys wear camo? Um, how has it worked out for you when you do wear camo versus not? What kind do you use? Are you guys on the side of, you know, Sidcuts for the uppity snooty hunters? Or have you changed your minds kind of like me where I'm like, you know, I thought it was, but those guys that can afford it, if they want to spend the money on it, it's a great system. You know, that's kind of what I've come to. Yeah. So tell Let us what know. your thoughts are. Tell us your ideas. Yeah, and... Kind of another question to go off the lines of that is, is it easier to hunt um, ducks while you're in the water or in the field? Well, when you talk about easier, are you talking, is it easier physically? Because I'd say it definitely feels, you know, you don't have to wade through the water. It's easier to pound the stakes in. You don't mm -hmm. have to worry about your decoys. Easy to retrieve. Or are you talking easier as in you're more likely to get your limit? Yes, more success. More success? Oh. So we're leaning towards success. I would say it varies depending on what they're doing, what yeah. the animals are doing. Also, it definitely depends on your region. I mean, where we're at, water all the way. We don't have tons of fields out here that are public, let alone you can get access to with private. Um, so we hunt water almost strictly, but for those of you who have access to fields, let us know how it works out for you because I've always wanted to hunt fields. Yeah, and but, we just don't have a lot of access to it out here. Yeah. Um, but I know boys that, I mean, last weekend they went out and hunted uh, fields with geese decoys, and they hunted just as many ducks as they did geese. Yeah. Um, but I would say, as for the success rate, it honestly depends on the animal. Animals do three things, the same three things that babies do. Eat, sleep, and crap. Yeah. So you got to figure out. <clears throat> this animal is going to be going to eat at some point, right? Mm -hmm. You also need to know where their food source is, what they're eating. 
when are they going to be there? Yep. A lot of that comes from scouting. And, and you got to put in the work. I mean, yeah. this is just a plug for work. You have to put in work. If you don't put in the, the little bit of extra sweat and, and tears, you're going to go home with nothing. Yeah. And we'll, if you guys stay tuned, we'll definitely be covering more on scouting in later episodes. Absolutely. Um, but also, animals, they feed and they sleep. And I know down where I'm at, they feed almost strictly in grain fields during the day. Yeah. But then in the morning, right as light's getting up, they're coming off the water and they're, they're following water sources to their feeding sources. At night, they're coming off of those feed sources back into the water. And so early morning, I would say probably your best bet is going to be sitting right along the water waiting for them to pass by you. Yeah. Mid-morning, you're probably looking. You want to be sitting in that field ready to go. And then your late evenings, you're going to be wanting to sit on that water, waiting for them to come home, come to sleep. Yeah. And I know where we're at in Utah, it's a little bit different. Just, you know, I'm a delivery driver. I deliver cabinets and trucks and stuff. And I'm always driving all around. And I always try to keep my eye open for birds flying, birds in the fields and the water. Um, and that's a big portion of what scouting is. Just keep an eye open during your everyday travels. Um, but I've noticed... I almost never see ducks in fields. I only see geese. And even then, I see more geese out in water than I do in the fields or golf courses or anything like that. And so around here, you're, from my experience anyways, you're having a better chance out in the marshes or on the rivers than you are out in a field. But again, if you can get access to a field, that is amazing. Good on you. Go for it. Put in the work. Make sure it's going to be a place that they're going to be. All right. Next question. Where do I go to find regulations and dates on hunting, and how many ducks can I shoot? Crap. I mean, if you're looking for regulations, any place that you can buy a license. Yeah. Um, any, outdoors, any outdoors shop should have your local uh, rules and regulation guidebooks. And even if they don't, They'll know exactly what website to go to so that you can find yeah. them online. Almost never fails. I just search up, you know, turkey hunting Utah 2021 season, whatever. Um, you know, Caleb and I have been getting ready to go on a turkey hunt this spring. We're trying to put in for tags. If we don't pull out, we're going to just, you know, buy with the counter ones. But that's what I've been doing a lot of, just downloading them digitally, too. And so a lot of it has been moving online recently, mm -hmm. but you can always find your regulations. And as for how many ducks you can shoot, it varies. You yeah. know, it varies state to state. It varies region to region. And varies species to species. Yeah. I mean, in Idaho, we're allowed two female mallards a day. Um, and Same a, in Utah. It's a, it's a certain amount of other females that you can have per day. And your total limit of the day is seven. Yeah. That's pretty much how it is here in Utah. You're allowed to shoot seven but then again, species to species, sex to sex, it varies. Two mallards, seven a day, etc. Um, another great tip with that also is if you can get a hard copy of these guidebooks, please carry them with you. If you're in doubt, you have a question, look always, it up. Yep, always reference them. Always look it up. And on top of that, they'll also have they'll also be uh, pictures that help you identify what you shoot, yes. what you harvest. And be very careful on dates. Um, I know for Idaho this year, this doesn't happen very often, but in my area, geese open later than ducks. And so I'm sitting out there opening day, and uh, we, we went out and shot a few and had some fun. And, you know, we had some guys with some poor etiquette, but that, we'll cover that in a later podcast. Yeah. Um, but we ended up meeting up with a, a fishing game warden that day. And she told us the amount of tickets that she'd given out, and it was quite a few because people hadn't realized that geese open later. Mm -hmm. um, in Utah, there's only one region, and it's a very, very small region, where geese are open year-round. All other times, all other regions, they close it for like two weeks in the middle of the season. And you have to be very wary of those dates. And on top of that, you know, other species like scout in Utah ended in December while well, the rest of the season goes on for another month. Um, but yeah, just on top of that, just be on top of it, please. Don't, don't, don't be kicking yourself later after you get that ticket. Also, if you guys do make a mistake, talk to your local game warden. 
I know a lot of you guys are intimidated by that, but they're just like us and they are more than likely willing to help you out, especially if they know that you just made an accidental mistake and didn't understand. Yeah, they completely understand. Um, I don't know how many of you watch any of those Texas Game Warden shows or Northwoods Law or anything like that, but you'll notice a pattern 90% of the time. If you just call it in, say, hey, this is a situation, I made a mistake, what do you want me to do with this? You know, how, how should I handle this? And nine times out of ten, you know, it's just going to be, we get it, you made a mistake, uh, let's move on from it. Here's how we move on. Yep. What other questions do you guys have? Um, I was wondering, since you guys got a new puppy, um, yeah. when do you start training your dogs to be bird dogs? Excellent question. So this is actually our first hunting dog, but I've had my uncle train dogs his entire life. Um, and then my other uncle has a few dogs that he's trained. You know, my dad had a dog trained by my uncle. And to this day, it was the smartest dog that my dad's ever seen. Um, but as for ages, I would say zero to six months, you should be training them on obedience. By the time six months hits, they should be obedient and should be able to sit, heal, and obey your commands, especially, you know, listening to their owner. As long as you can command their attention, you'll be all right. And I would say by the time that your pup is nine months old, it's ready to go, it's ready to go birding. Um, that's when you should learn to teach it to heal, teach it to retrieve, teach it to search. Mm -hmm. These are your terms that you'll use while you're out in the field that you need to be able to communicate with your dog and about nine months old, they can start really comprehending what you're trying to get across to them. Yeah, and please be patient with your dogs. It's, it's going to take them a while to learn. Um, and every dog is different, too. You know, be sure you try different tactics. Do your research. You, know, you can always find millions of YouTube videos. I've heard other podcasts on this. I own a book or two about how to train dogs. There's so many different ways to do it. Just take your time. Figure out what works best with your dog. And, and one thing that I heard that was amazing, um, earlier this year, someone gave me some advice. He said there's three stages to training a dog. There's the first stage that you get them and you think it's all cute and it's a puppy. That's really fun. And then you hit the burnout stage where you're like, well, you, you lower your aspirations. Well, maybe my dog can't quite heal. Maybe my dog can't quite search the way I want it to. Maybe it can't quite mark that duck. Don't give up. Yeah. Write out this burnout stage. It may not be fun, but stick with what you're doing. It may seem futile. After that, hits the success stage. And you will start seeing your dog start to retrieve. He will start to heal and understand those basic commands that you need. Instead of turning left when you point right, he will look at you and then start looking right. Or instead of going out in front of you when you yell heal... He'll seem like he wants to go out in front of you, but then sit at your heels. You know, these are things that as you hit that success stage, it's hard to continue. But if you will stick it out, it will be the most successful dog you'll ever have. Mm -hmm. And especially going through those trials with your dog, that bond is going to be so much stronger. Absolutely. What other questions do we have? Um, do you have to be a confident shot with a shotgun before you go hunting ducks? That, I think that's a great question. Um, kind of a hard one I to know, answer. Yeah. Um, actually, Kayla, you were kind of in this situation. We, you hadn't had a whole lot of experience shooting shotguns before we met, right? No. And so we just went out. We bought her a relatively cheap gun that we could find. You know, we bought her a Winchester. and It was just something quick and easy because we were approaching the season fast. And we wanted to get her a gun that we could use in the field, but that she could also take out and practice with and we <laughs> we took her out with some pigeons and thrown clays and she it was so bad <laughs> she i don't think she hit one the whole day no and i was like Kayla, you got to start hitting these it, the birds are flying twice as fast left to right they're not going straight out in front of you and so we, we kind of started you know shooting stationary clays we'd set them down when she got that down you know i gave her some some tips I like to use, like, you know, when you're throwing clays, it hits an apex point where it almost floats in the midair in one spot for a second and then starts to fall. I like to aim just under it and shoot 
horizon hits that apex point, and it usually will hit every time. And I started giving her some of these pointers, and you know, went out a couple more times before a season, and she start, she got to where she could start to hit a few clays here and there, and she's gotten a lot better, still working on it, but we took her out hunting, and I mean, I did better at that than I did with the clays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it was weird. She was slaying these birds left and right as they were flying and more difficult shots than clays as most of you know but I think you don't have to be confident you just have to be confident enough yeah I mean obviously you're using a shotgun you're gonna get spread um start out with a big choke start with an improved cylinder that's what we put her on you know I used modified I've worked my way up to that. Definitely try and get the biggest spread you can to give you the best chance because the more you can get a kill on your first shot instead of making it crippled, the better. It's going to be a lot more ethical, a lot less painful for the duck, and it's going to be all around better, better kill. See, and I think for me, the thing that got me confident, you know, was practice. Yes. You, you, can't, you can't go out and having never shot a shotgun and expect to kill a bird. What got me the confidence to finally be able to kill a duck is I started off with freaking sage hen. <laughs> These are birds that will That's... stand underneath you, and when they go, when they leave, it sounds like gunshot. And by the time that you've gotten your drawers cleaned out, they're already a quarter mile away. And so right. I remember sitting there going, holy crap, how am I ever going to hit one of these birds? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's the similar that is all around the country, you don't have to go... Montana, Wyoming, Idaho for these birds is doves. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen a bird that can move like they can, but go out, buy a relatively cheap box of ammunition of 25 and just go start slinging, you know, pellets. Make sure you're in a safe area, but find where doves are and go start slinging at them. I know that in Idaho, they've considered the Eurasian collared dove uh, an invasive species. And so they don't have a daily bag limit and they don't have a season on them. Oh, that's nice. And that's so fun. if you want to go out and start practicing with Eurasians, I mean, that's what me and my cousin do to get ready for duck season because we know that if we can hit a flying dove that's traveling Mach 90 across your face, then yeah. you're going to hit that teal coming in to your spread early in the morning. Mm-hmm. I think on top of that is also no matter what gun you're using, no matter what you're hunting, just please make sure you're familiar with your weapon. Make sure you know how it operates. Make sure you know how to operate it safely. And that will also give you the confidence. The more you know about how your gun interacts with your rounds and how the rounds are going to react to your environment, the more confident you're going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes along with matching your, your shot size to your prey. Yeah. You know, you just, as long as you know how all that's working together... You're gonna feel better when you go out and you know everything's setting right for your success. Mm-hmm. If I, you feel like you're gonna be successful going out, you probably will be. Yeah, I think another great aspect of that is patterning your shotgun. This is a little it's something I only recently found about this season. I've been hunting since I was 13. Is I never even considered patterning a shotgun, but it makes perfect sense. You know, everybody sights in their rifles, sight in their scopes. Why not do the same with your shotgun? You know, get different types of ammunition. Take all the choke, all the different size chokes you have. Get a paper target that's about the size of a duck. Set it out, you know, 10 yards, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. And just have fun, you know. See, see what kind of spread you get at different yardage with different chokes. Where's your ethical kill shot? Yeah. You know, find that out. Find out your maximum limit for your shotgun and the round that you're going to be shooting. And... Don't exceed it. Don't sky bust. Nobody likes a sky buster. Especially when you're just doing it to ruin someone's day. I mean, Connor and I have different um, reaching limit capacities, but that's because we're shooting different guns. I mean, what do you shoot? I personally, I've been shooting uh, Benelli Nova ever since I was 13. It was a gun. I bought that. I guess technically I didn't buy it because I was too young, but I paid for it when I was 14. I've been using that gun every year since then. I mean, it's my favorite gun. I love it. And I've you got never an, had a problem with it. And you said you have an improved cylinder in it? No, I have a modified Modified. Choke. So I'm, you're shooting a Benelli 12-gauge with a modified, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm shooting a little Arctic 20-gauge single shot. 
So our spreads are going to be completely different. We're shooting different ammunition. We're shooting yeah. different shot sizes. Shooting different gauges. Yep. And so it's it's a completely different game. What you can reach, I might not be able to. And something that might be easy for me might be a little more difficult for you. Yeah. Especially with my uh, tight tighter spread. Exactly. You now you might get a duck at ten yards, and it'll be perfectly fine. I can shoot the same duck ten yards with a single with a uh, one shot size, and you know, obliterate it. Yep. And so it's all about knowing your, your gun and what you're shooting at. Mm-hmm. What other questions do we have? So I've, we've been talking a lot about duck hunting and all that. I just I want to turn it around to more fishing. Um, I think that's good because it's, it's duck season. Zach and I, we've been really excited about ducks. We love we ducks We just got so finished much. with it. We had a great season. It was one of our favorite seasons so far. Definitely. And, but... We don't just cover ducks on this show. We want to do everything outdoors. And so I think this is great. Yeah, so I've heard that um, it's hard to catch bass. Is that true? That's kind of a difficult question. So we actually got to spend two years in Illinois. Yeah. Um, and we had a ton of fun there. We we got to fish every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spent a lot of time catching bass. And I'll tell you, there's weeks where, you know, there was one one day between the time of 6 a.m. and 12 a.m. I caught 60 bass. But there was full days when I went out when I couldn't catch a single one. Yeah. I mean, you've had a lot more experience with bass fishing than I have. I, I only went out probably a total month's worth of times with you. Um, and so I personally, I've never caught a bass, but I also haven't had a whole lot of experience doing it. Um, I just kind of went out there willy-nilly, not really looking into it. And it's definitely something I want to look into more, but there's not a ton of bass out west here. Yep, and that's something that's really hard. I mean, from my house, the best area, two hours away, you yeah. know, and it's, it's hard to get there, and that's the closest area that we have around us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time that I spent out in Illinois bass fishing, I really enjoyed it. But the reason that people say bass are harder to catch is they are notoriously finicky. If the weather turns, what you were using isn't going to work anymore. If a cloud covers the sun, what you were using isn't going to work anymore. Temperature changes just a little bit. It's just not going to work. You have to be able to be flexible and adapt. And that's why I was able to see success. I am not a very patient fisherman. And so (laughs) if I don't see success in my first dozen casts, I want to change it up. I want to figure out what's going to work. He's not joking. I've watched this man walk around entire lakes multiple times. He doesn't spend more than two casts in one spot. I'm trying to find the active fish, you know? And, and, and there like are hunting. days... you got to go where the fish are. Exactly. There, and you got to go where the game is. And I spent days figuring out what was working. And I spent entire days figuring out what wasn't working. I think we've all been there. And so I think that what it comes down to is, as a general rule... Dark days equal darker colors. Darker water equals darker color. And early morning, I love top water. Um, but your See, best seasons are going to be spring and fall. So, you know, I think that's pretty interesting because I'm used to a lot of trout fishing. And, you know, personally, I like bright, vibrant colors to start off with at least. Um, and so my thing would be dark waters, bright color. And a lot of guys will do that. And I just personally haven't seen the success out of bright colors that a lot of guys say they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I see the water's a little bit tinged, I'm going to throw on a black and blue bait. Yeah. And I'm going to throw it into the, the very face of the fish. I want to be up close and nasty with him. Um, that's at least where I've seen my success come from. Mm-hmm. So. I think that kind of answers your question. It's because when the weather changes or when any aspect of their environment changes, they can go from being on a bite to changing to something different. Yeah, it's just all about adapting and trying different baits, um, using different two poles at once. I know here in Utah, our licenses allow us to use two poles at once. And in Idaho, we can buy a two-pole permit that allows us to do that. So that's definitely something to keep in mind as you are trying different baits on both. You'll mm-hmm. find out what works. Yeah. What other questions do we have? I'm going to take a step backwards. 
What equipment do I need to start duck hunting? Oh, should we go basic or should we go? Well, I think it also depends on areas you're going to be hunting. I think that's like absolutely we, true. We hunt a lot of water, so waders is almost a must. But they're just so dang expensive. They're incredibly expensive. And uh, you know, we get we're broke college kids. We don't, we don't have a lot of money to throw around, and so I've been holding on to the same pair of waders since I was probably fifteen, and it's just starting to be too much. I'm gonna have to get some new ones soon. But it really does come down to where what you're are hunting. you? Mm-hmm. What kind of camo are you gonna get? But I think bare necessities. I don't think you need decoys for bare necessities. I think for what you need to start duck hunting is you need to have an area where there are some ducks and you need to have a shotgun and some ammunition. Yeah, those bare necessities. I mean, I know that's what I started out with. When I started out, my old man kicked me to the curb and said, you know, you want to figure out duck hunting? Good luck. And I had to walk and walk and walk and I had blisters on my feet from the amount of walking I did and I had tears in my eyes from the amount of birds that I jumped. But I jump hunted canals and I, I tried. Um... You know, if you're in a decoy hunt, you need a call. You need a, a call, and you need a couple of decoys. Yeah. You need one a blind. Mm-hmm. See, I got I got really lucky. I started out completely different. My two cousins, who love to hunt anything and everything, they came up to me and said, "Hey, do you want to go on the youth duck hunt?" I was like, "Yeah, but I don't I don't have any equipment. I have waders, and that's it." Like, don't worry, we'll take care of you. And so I grabbed a camouflage hat and my waders, and I met them out there and. They had probably three, four dozen decoys, a shotgun. They had their calls ready. They had all the ammo I needed. They had everything ready for me. And I sat down. We sat down. They started calling in ducks. They set the decoys out. They called the ducks in for me, and I just sat there and shot, and it was a blast. I had so much fun doing that. From there on, I was hooked. And that's something to look into as well. Not just youth hunts, but first-time hunts. I know that... Two years ago, I was able to take a guy on his first hunt in Idaho. And I'll be dinged if we didn't take him across all, all of southeast Idaho. But we got him a duck before the day was over. And it took us a long time, but he, at the end of the day, had his first duck. And I think, at least I hope, he had a great time. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of us get hooked on any kind of hunter fishing is especially with waterfowl, it was great to see Kayla kill her first duck. The smile on her face as she saw what she got, this beautiful, beautiful head mallard, such vibrant colors, especially for early season. She was so proud and so happy of that thing. And it was just a great thing to witness because it kind of brought back those memories of my first kill. And I think that's something that we need to embrace as hunters. Mm -hmm. We need to bring new people in. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we don't need more people. Keep them out. Keep them out. More hunters equals worse. What they don't understand is that is we get less hunters. We get more restrictions. We get more bans put on us. We get more, you know, when the smaller bag limits. Exactly. When people see that we want to hunt, when that's really a desire, that it opens more doors for us. Um, yeah. And that's when we can really, truly control the population and control it safely and effectively as well. Yeah. And I know I had the same experience watching my wife get her first deer this year, or her first duck this year. She shot one. It was uh, a little mud duck. But the smile that lit up her face made you think of your first ever animal. And that's why I think we should embrace bringing new people on is because not only do you get to live with people through their first experiences, which is magical, but it also brings back our magical experiences with our first animals. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, is there anything else? I just have one last question. So, I don't know anything about trapping or anything like that. Um, could you tell us um, the things you like to use and what traps you like and how to set them up? You know, I'm right there with her. I've never trapped either, Zach, so I'm going to let you take the wheel on this one. Um, I grew up trapping. Crap, I remember my old man telling me stories of how he and his best friend growing up um, get their pants soaked and they would trap underneath banks. Um, and today things are just a little bit different. I've bought a lot of different traps, um, but what I would say my go-to is either a one and a half foot hold, which is a, one that'll retain the legs of animals, 
or a 110 conibear. And the 110 conibear got its name because it has 110 pounds per square inch that oh, wow. hits the neck um, of an animal swing through it. And I've, I've watched muskrats swim through my trap before. Um, I've been lucky enough to have been there and watched them, and I have seen them dispatched in under a minute. I mean, I was sitting there setting a trap looking for a, a stake. I would still remember this day vividly. Um, I had sat on a pond that a couple of neighbors had asked me to trap because there was nuisance muskrat. And I had a trap set in a hole in the bank, and I turned around to go grab a stake, and I turned back around after I cut my stake, and all of a sudden there's a muskrat in my trap, and it was still. I mean, it, hadn't, it wasn't twitching, and I was no, at that stake for no more than a minute. Maybe, maybe 30 seconds. Um, but as for the, the one and a half foothold, I think a lot of people have a misconception about footholds these days. They, they think of those nasty jaw bear tooth traps. Um, right. I know that's what first popped in my head when you mentioned it. And a lot of people don't realize today that those are illegal, actually. You really? can't use those. They're unethical. They injure the animal. Um, as for me... I've trapped raccoons with these and walked up on my raccoons sleeping in my trap. So people say that they snap their legs and they, <laughs> they chew their own legs off. I mean, it happens, but it's so much less likely nowadays. I mean, a lot of us, hunt, or a lot of us trappers use padded traps. So even when it clamps down on it, it's not enough force. I'll stick my big finger in a trap, and I've done it before by accident. And it, yeah, it hurts a little bit. I mean, no one can say that a trap doesn't hurt. But the initial, after the initial shock wears off, I mean, you're just being held. It's not like it's cutting into you. I've never drawn blood with a trap before. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, too, is a lot of people out there view hunting and trapping and fishing and everything as unethical, as violent, and you know, just causing pain to other people, killing just to kill. And our goal as outdoorsmen is to be as ethical as possible. We want to yeah. put the game down as quickly and as humanely as we can. Yeah, like we mentioned with a shotgun. Make sure you know your limits of your shotgun. Normally, it's no more than 40 yards. You want to make sure you get that good, clean, ethical kill. Um, but yeah, as for trapping, that's what I like to use in my, my game of choice. I like muskrats, beaver, and raccoon. I'm, uh, I'm a river trapper, and so that's what I stick with. I've never had the opportunity... To successfully hit coyotes, bobcats, and things like that, though I'd like to. And I think this next year with you, we're going to explore that a little bit, but I, I just haven't that. had the opportunity to do that yet. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'm down to try new things. You know, I think that's a, a bonus to do this podcast with you is, you know, now Kayla and I, we get to join you out on these and learn new things from you as well as vice versa. Exactly. Things from each other. And we're so excited to do that. That's, that's what makes us, and you guys too, as the listeners, we want to learn things from you. You know, if you guys have advice, you just heard that Connor and I are going to go try to trap coyotes and bobcats next year. If any of you have experience with that, shoot us a, a message. Let us know. Tell us tips and tricks that you guys have learned through your hard work and your experience so that we can be a little more successful. Yeah, please, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Go on our Facebook, go to our Instagram, email us. Anything. If we can't answer it, I'm sure somebody else in our group can answer it. We'll be able to. Yep. Um, do we have any more questions, girls? Nope. I think we're good. Awesome. Um, we'll close this out with all our information. Sure. Yeah. We can be reached on Facebook at oh, Hunger for the Outdoors, the number four. Hunger, the number four, outdoors. Um, on Instagram, we're at Hunger, the number four, outdoors. Um, and our Gmail is hunger, the number four, outdoors at gmail.com. Um, you know, guys, always feel free to shoot us a DM. We really cannot wait to hear from you. Um, advice, tips, tricks that you guys have learned um, because we love sharing things of our listeners. Yeah. You know, um, I think now would be a good time to bring this up. We were talking about this a little bit earlier is we think it'd be a great opportunity if maybe, you know, once a month, or every so often, you know, we have kind of a listener's episode where you guys can send us stories of your hunts, um, stories of tips and tricks that you've learned and how they worked. Um, and please send us pictures of these hunts and these fishing trips and everything. Um, we love to hear about it. And then we want to pass that along. We know Zach and I, we both love, love just hearing hunting stories, 
hearing about how you stalked that deer for half a mile, two miles, and finally got the drop on him. And we want to pass along with everybody else, too. And we, we can post those pictures on our social media as well. And as well as with that, we're going to share our stories of our failures, you know. And, and don't be afraid to share stories where you guys had this amazing, non-typical muley in front of you, you know, 20 yards, and you missed him. I mean, for, for all goodness, my cousin this year went out for his first year, and he and his dad are sitting there, and his dad called in a 320-class bull elk to 40 yards, a shot that even I could make in my sleep. Um, and my cousin is much more experienced than me. He, he should have been able to make that shot every day of the week. Yeah. Um, but you got a little, little bit of buck fever and pulled low, and, you know, it happens. It's one of those things that you just got to chuckle at and, and appreciate. So yeah. I know we're running a little long here, but it makes me want to share one of my failures that we recently had this <laughs> season is, you know, my lovely wife, Kayla, and I, we... I, you know, one of my buddies, he reached out to me. I haven't seen him in a long time. He said, hey, I've seen that you've been doing a lot of hunt, duck hunting on Facebook. And I've been wanting to go, and I got a buddy who just barely got his hunter's permit, or his hunting license. And I want to take him duck hunting. Uh, do you guys think you want to go out with us, or maybe show us a spot around here we could go? And I was like, yeah, sure. I don't know any spots down where you live, though, so I know one up by me. You could meet up there if you want. It's like, yeah, sounds great. And so we get there, we get all set up at decent spot we you know saw a little bit flying around and um you know 10 o'clock rolls around we don't see anything nothing's flying anymore we're like maybe we should go find a different spot so me and him get up and start walking around a little bit and as we're leaving we see a duck fly by and flies right over Kayla she drops him and she ended up getting a pretty little gad wall and we ended up making the decision to move spots and we move spots over to a dike and you know, an hour goes by, nothing. We're just sitting there. Everybody's in their own little head doing whatever. And I was sitting there leaning on my back, looking up at the sky, playing with my duck whistle, seeing what weird sounds I could make out of it. And all of a sudden, I hear these wings flapping. I look up, and I see about eight mallards just cupped right over our decoys. And I panicked. <laughs> I got a little too excited. <laughs> he yelled, get him, cut him, get him, guys. All four of us missed. And it was just heartbreaking. <laughs> but it's one of those things I look back on. I just laugh about it now. It's just one of those things you live, move on. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, until next time, I'm Zach. I'm Connor. I'm Michaela. I'm Melissa. And this is Hunger for the Outdoors. <laughs>